I don't have an end date in mind when it comes to my own healing. If you think about an, an antibiotic, right? So I take two pills three times a day for 10 days and the infection will be gone. But the problem with it is that it doesn't work that way in your soul. It's not take five scriptures and a prayer and a Hail Mary and then in six months, you're gonna be good. I've just learned the beauty of saying, I want a lifetime with walking with the Lord. Welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. I'm really glad you've joined us today. And before we get into our episode, I wanted to say thank you to everyone who has messaged me, emailed, or let me know on social media that you have read my new book, This Dream Is Not For You. I've heard so many incredible stories of how God has helped you walk in your purpose and calling right where you're at. I've heard of many of you getting the courage to dream again after feeling stuck when your previous dreams didn't work out. I've heard so many people tell me that you're able to trust God in a confusing season in a new way after reading the book. That makes me so happy. I wrote this about my journey of learning to trust God on the other side of some dead dreams. And I found that that was one of the greatest gifts God could ever give me was saying no to a dream I thought I couldn't live without because I learned that all of my hope and all of my trust and all of my faith can be placed in Jesus. And so I want to help you if you're in that same place, if you want to dream not just bigger, but if you want to dream better, I encourage you to get your copy of This Dream Is Not For You, Learn To Live By Letting Go. It's available wherever books are sold, and you can find the link in the show notes or the YouTube description. Now, this week we have my friend, Pastor Brandon Petty on the podcast. He is the lead pastor of Generation Church. They're an incredible church. I've had the chance to both preach there and work with their worship team. And I love and respect Pastor Brandon so much. And we have a really vulnerable conversation about his messy and painful but important journey of forgiveness and healing from some trauma he experienced as a child and how the Holy Spirit has changed his heart, his family, and his church as he's embraced that healing process in his life. And so this episode deals with sensitive subject matter, so it may not be suitable for all audiences, but I think that no matter what you are walking through or what pain you've experienced, or maybe you're experiencing right now, this episode will help you find God right in the middle of it there with you. And so I appreciate you joining us, and I pray that this conversation encourages you and helps you to trust God in a new way today. Brandon, welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. It's great to have you here. Man, I'm super honored and uh, pumped to, to be on the episode today. I like to start every episode uh, just asking people the question, what are you dreaming about? And you can be mm -hmm. as serious about this or, you know, it can be a fun dream, whatever, whatever's on your heart right now. What, what are you currently dreaming about? Oh, man. Um, well, obviously, like having a, uh, a daughter who's about to graduate high school and go off to college, you know, I'm just dreaming about getting her into adulthood well. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think as a parent, you know, you feel like, man, did I do everything right? You know, and so my dream is just that she would follow the Lord and use her gifts and purpose to help build the kingdom and whatever. I think she wants to be a, uh, a high school teacher 
and a coach awesome. and and minor in counseling. And so I hope that the Lord uses her mightily. But I think along that vein, along those lines, you know, I, I just have a dream right now to help other pastors and leaders get completely healthy, soul health. Um, and we'll get into my story a little bit later, but just that's the journey I've been on. It's just this, um, you know, I think there's a, there's a saying that I love to say that a lot of people survive a lot in life, but they don't have victory. And so uh, how do, how do I help people find victory, not just survival in their life? And so that's, I hope to one day be able to use my gifts and, uh, to help counsel and, um, build a retreat center, hopefully for pastors and leaders or come along some, along somebody else who's, who's doing it well and, and be a part of that because that's just a huge passion of mine. Oh, I love that. There's so many things I even want to jump off on based on what you said before we get into, cause I love that dichotomy you just said about survive versus thrive, but mm. just as a dad of daughters myself, how are you navigating that? Cause I'm barely holding it together with my girls starting to drive and you're talking about yeah. college how are you yeah. savoring the moments of being present, but also preparing to launch your daughter off into adulthood? What is that like? Yeah. Um, lots of uh, coffee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, like I think um, uh, it's it's one of those things like I, you probably know this as a parent that when you're in the middle of it, it's, it's hard to necessarily enjoy like the moment because you're thinking about every little next step you know, like what's going on. I think what, what the Lord has tried to like really get me to do is like, Hey, sit in like every single day. My prayer is like, Hey Lord, let me enjoy today. Hmm. You know, because we do, we, we just filled out the forms for her cap and gown last night. And it's like, you know, we're, this is August, <laughs> you know, and, and that's in May, you know? Hmm. And so I think the hard part for a lot of people is like, how do you, live in today while you're also thinking about tomorrow. And some of it is just my wife is a man. She really is. We have an incredible support system too. You know, I, I think that's what I would encourage everyone is um, if you don't have other friends or a community around you who are helping, you know, navigate your kids' lives too, because I know that she's going to probably hear something that I've already said a hundred times from one of our, our friends or somebody in our community, and she's going to receive it more than she receives it from us. And so, I'm trying to just live every day um, and just say, God, help me not to wish this season away because it mm -hmm. is, it's a busy, stressful season. Um, and so sometimes we're like, man, I can't wait to get out of this busy season. But once we're out of this one means we're that much closer to the one that she's going to be leaving her home. Mm -hmm. And so just trying to like, you know, give her freedom to uh, start toward adulthood, but also let her enjoy being a high school student one more year. So Yeah. I mean, wishing a season away because it's difficult. I think that's something all of us find ourselves doing, yet there's so much beauty in the seasons that we're wishing away. And yes. you usually don't recognize it until you're out of it. Mm -hmm. So I think that probably even lends itself to maybe some of what you've discovered in how to thrive and instead of survive as a leader, as a pastor, as a parent. And as catchy as that phrase sounds, I know you probably had to get there through a lot of survival seasons yourself. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the journey God's had you on? Because you're an amazing pastor and I really connected with you when I first went out to your church because 
you really just prioritized bringing your whole self to God, your soul mm -hmm. really being still before the Lord, hearing his voice, and you were trying to lead your church to do the same thing. But I know that that came on the other side of some struggles in your life. So can you just tell a little bit about your story and what got you to that point? Yeah. So um, I was in student ministry for 15 years. You know, I came to know the Lord when I was 18. And then in 2010, felt the calling to uh, plant a church. I didn't know anything about church planting, but uh, about two years later, we we launched Generation Church here in Tennessee, Middle Tennessee. And um, at that point, you know, I grew up in a ton of dysfunction. And so my mother had me when she was 16 years old. And so she dropped out of high school to work several jobs. With that came a lot of different men in my life because, you know, I didn't know my real father until I was 15 years old. And um had I mean it was like every relationship my mother was in was either super abusive or uh, very toxic when it comes to addiction, and so had several stepdads that were either uh, drug dealers, uh, alcoholics, and super violently abusive, and so I was abused physically, sexually, um, emotionally, verbally. I mean, basically from the time that I was six or seven through <clears throat> my early teens, and. Um, and so when I, when I came to the Lord at 18, you know, I think a lot of people think time heals all wounds. You know, it's like, okay, like I'm a Christian now, you know, I'm supposed to forgive. I think forgiveness and healing is easy to talk about when the, it's not sore anymore. Mm. You know, when it, when, when the wound isn't necessarily, you know, like sometimes it scabs over, you don't really think about it um, until you hit it again, until, you know, you hit that spot, you know, that's been bruised. And how do you, how do you heal a bruise on your soul? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you heal stuff that you can't see um, or that you don't know it's there until it's pressed upon. Right. And so I walked through most of my life. Uh, I was, a, I was introduced to pornography at the age of eight. Mm -hmm. And so you're talking about um, a formation that had been done in me from basically the time I was eight until even in my late twenties um, up until 30, of battling pornography, battling all the dysfunctions, you know, um, you know, whether we like to say it or not, most people who plant churches are narcissistic, you know, they have compulsive tendencies. And what I didn't realize, Wade, is that a lot of stuff that I'd even attributed to like, man, I'm doing this for the Lord. Like even when I was a student past, it was like, I'm going to be the first one to work and the last one to leave. And so I championed this whole grind attitude of like, look at my work. And what I didn't realize is that for six years, I was really looking for my pastor to be my father. Hmm. I wanted, I needed a dad to say, you're doing a good job. You're, you have what it takes. You're doing an amazing job. And when I didn't receive that from male, you know, role models in my life, you know, it just, it pushed me further into this achieve mindset and this whole affirmation mindset. And the problem with that is, is that even when we're doing stuff, quote unquote, for the Lord, we're really doing it for ourselves. Hmm. And so <clears throat> we started a church that was fast growing up front um, and saw a lot of, saw God do a lot of amazing things. And here's what I tell people is that sometimes God will bless you in spite of you. But the beautiful thing about the Lord is that he wants to bless you because he, he wants to do it with you, not just in spite of you. Right. And what I felt like was for the first four or five years of our ministry <clears throat> is that he did it in spite of me. 
And the crazy thing is, is 2015, me and my wife went through a season about two and a half, two year period where we walked through some of the darkest times in our life. Uh, she had a brother that was on his deathbed due to alcoholism. Uh, we had another family issue. My father died. Well, I had just started building my relationship back with my biological father. Um, and he passed away suddenly from a heart attack and right after my son was born. So he never met my son. <clears throat> and, uh, in that same vein, I, I showed up to church one day. We were we were a portable church for the first seven years of our existence. And I show up to the school, go walking up, and um, long story short, I come to the realization that one of the men that sexually abused me when I was a kid was in our church. So you're talking about from the time I was nine years old to now, I'm like 40 um, or almost 40. And that that gap or that time period and immediately Wade, I was thrust back into the same emotions, feelings, uh, chaos, anxiety, and depression that I where I was as a child. I started having nightmares every night uh, that my son was going to disappear or die. Um, I went through a phase of about two and a half months where I was I would daydream about like man maybe I could get a job like a car lot or like I started just dreaming about all these other things I could do anything but ministry. I was terrified to walk through the doors of my own church. Uh, I would sneak in the back, preach, and sneak out and leave, and didn't want to be around the people um, that God had called me to minister to. And in that process, I had a friend who was doing, uh, he does like two weeks of a solitude sabbatical. And he was telling me about it. I'm like, bro, I've never heard of that. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, why don't you come visit with me for a few days while I'm on mine, and we'll talk. And it turned into like two and a half days of just super incredible healing and getting to talk with my friend. And um, he kind of gave me the template to say like, hey, here's how I do it. Like you figure it out. And about a month later, I went on my own. Uh, and I tell people that was the cheapest form of counseling in my life. <laughs> um, and I did go to counseling. A long story short, I, I went to counseling for several months. And I'll never forget... Um, I went to a counseling session and my counselor said, um, listen, let me ask you a question. He said, can you take this guy right now? And I was like, what are you <laughs> like? That's a weird question to ask in a counseling session. And, uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm confident. I, I could take this dude, you know? And, um, he said, well, then you need to go tell you, the 10 year old version of yourself that you're okay, that you're safe. And in that moment, I realized, he said, the reason why you're having all these dreams is because, you know, basically when that moment happened, because from the time I was eight, nine, 10 to the time I'm 38, there was, there was no emotional maturity growth from the standpoint of like, I I'd survived a lot in my life, mm -hmm. but I had not for healing in my soul. And the moment that was pushed on in my soul, that pain came running back. And so in my, in my dreams or in my subconscious, you know, my son was in my place, right? Like all the things, I mean, I even, he's, he's eight now. And I think every day, Wade, like he's, he is the exact age that I was mm. when I was introduced to pornography and began to be sexually abused. And those things do something to your heart and your soul. They, they press on areas that if you're not, if you're not addressing that and, and uncovering that, 
um, it just continues to build. You know, if you've ever had inflammation in your body, you know that inflammation can lead to disease and sickness. And I, I could talk all day, but I don't want to, but like, long story short, like I realized I had even a lot of physical sickness in my body weight that I would have this reoccurring sickness that happened in my body. I'm going to find out like a lot of it had to do with uh, a lot of the trauma and wounds in my body. There's a great book called the body keeps the score. And since I have started addressing those things, being vulnerable, sharing those conversations, preaching about it, teaching about it, um, I found that my, even my body is, is beginning to be healthier because mm-hmm. inflammation in the soul leads to sickness of the soul. And so I went on this journey. I started reading Dallas Willard, uh, John Mark Comer, um, all these guys that introduced me to a whole form of formation and discipleship that honestly weighed growing up in the attractional model of church. I had not been introduced to. And so from about 2016, 17 until now, I've been on this complete journey of just um, how do I, because what I realized is that I was a pretty good leader. I'd read almost every leadership book, listened to every leadership podcast, but I was not a good follower of Jesus. And that was heartbreaking Mm -hmm. for me to know that I had been going for 20 something years in ministry and really, it was I was relying so much on my gift and not relying on the Holy Spirit in my life and what He's done in me. And so I tell people, like, I want to be a person and a pastor who doesn't practice what they preach, but preaches what they practice. And it's it's that whole like God, I want God to work it out in me so that I can help others work it out. You know, so I know I'm like, if interrupt me, whatever. Um, so no, your story is so. I mean, it's it's painful to hear, but it's also powerful to see the healing that God has brought as you've opened your heart to Him, as you've opened your heart in vulnerability to others. So first of all, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for leading from that vulnerable place. And you're, you know, when you talked about healing the soul, how do you heal a soul when you can't see it? You can't see the inflammation. Mm-hmm. It's It's under the surface. So I want you to go back to that place where you're finally starting to incorporate these practices of counseling, of silence, of everything that you're reading about in Dallas Willard. How did, because I know everything doesn't change in a moment and you're still leading this church. You still have all those pressures. How did you embrace that transition of okay, I'm going to, I still have to lead these people, but now I need to learn what it means to follow Jesus too. And I need to learn how to do this from my weakness. Describe that, the messiness of that process. Yeah, uh, I think, and this is what I would encourage every pastor, you know, because when I got into pastoring, uh, which I never wanted to do, by the way, which never tell God, never want to do something <laughs> because he usually calls you to that. Um but I was told, you know, hey, don't trust anybody in the church. Um, you know, don't make friends in the church because they're just going to hurt you. And I remember thinking, like, I don't think that's the way Jesus intended it. And one of the things that really helped me as I started walking through this process was community. And people, in, not just, you know, I think a lot of pastors are guilty of like, hey, all of my friends are pastors. 
And, you know, I shield myself from any really authentic, raw conversations with the people that I pastor. But what I found is that vulnerability and transparency are what people are hungry for and need somebody to show them how to do it. And so when I started actually bringing along some guys in my life um, to share what was going on with me and my journey, what was amazing is that, um, you know, they're walking through it with you, but they're also discovering some of those same things in their own life. And what I've found is that even in my own healing journey, it's like, you know, as you're walking through it, you're, you're also helping other people through it. And I think, you know, there's, I tell people right now, like we're living in such a sweet season in our church, uh, blessings and God's poor. I said, but we really in 2023, we are living in the fruit of slow, consistent seed that was planted in 2017 in my heart. And so you're talking about six years. And I think to answer your question directly, the, the hard part about the messy thing of healing is that we live in a culture and society that gives you a pill to take away whatever ails you. Mm-hmm. In other words, we want something. Uh, and that's not a that's not a whole conversation on that. It's a conversation on we want a quick fix is the point. Right. We want something like, hey, tell me, even when it comes to the disciplines, right? Even when it comes to my own formation, hey, pray five minutes a day, worship five minutes a day, read your Bible five minutes a day. And guess what? In a week, you're not going to feel this way anymore. And that's not true. And even here I am six years into the journey, Wade, and there are still, there are still moments where it's like, oh, I still a little tender. You know what I mean? Like that's still a little tender. You know, my mother, just last two weeks ago, we celebrated one year. My mother passed away, so both my parents are gone. And there are still, we had some great conversations before she died. You know, uh, of healing and reconciliation. But I'm just being transparent. There are still moments in my life. You know, like I'll find myself watching a movie or something, right? And you mm-hmm. <laughs> seeing some kind of sweet moment with a mom and a son, and you know, and you, I find myself angry. You know, like, why, why couldn't I have that, you know, um, or why did she choose this over me? And so I think part of it is like I invited community in my life. Part of it is I don't have an, I don't have an end date in mind when it comes to my own healing. You know, mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you think about an, an antibiotic, right, it's like, hey, take, take two pills three times a day for 10 days and the infection will be gone. But the problem with is that doesn't work that way in your soul. It's it's not take five scriptures and a prayer and a Hail Mary, and then in six months, you're going to be good. I've just learned the beauty of saying, I want a lifetime with walking with the Lord and allow Him to, to dictate the timeline and to dictate like the moments He shows me along the way of like, man, this is a beautiful moment that I feel so at peace. And even the moments when I'm like, hey, you know, like I'm feeling a little tender today. It's still a little tender to touch. I'm reminded of the days that I feel free. And so it, it, it encourages me to keep doing, keep applying the medicine. That medicine truly is the presence of the Lord. You know, it's not just... The thing I try to teach our staff and our leaders is the disciplines are not the things that change our lives. But what it does is it puts me in a position 
to receive the presence of God and to hear from the Lord. And if I keep putting myself in position, he keeps showing up. And that's what I have to remind myself every day. So, yeah, it's it's messy, but I think community is needed. Mm-hmm. I think consistency is needed. And I think transparency and vulnerability. If you're not having a good day, it's okay to admit that. And it's okay to admit, man, that spot's tender for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything you're sharing, I, I feel like the Lord is all over this. So thank you for mm-hmm. just just ministering from a really authentic place, even on a podcast conversation. Mm-hmm. My question is to close the loop. I, you mentioned that you're like the, one of the men that sexually abused you came to your church. Mm-hmm. How did you deal with that as part of your healing? Because I know there's part of healing is also healthy boundaries. It's mm-hmm. making hard decisions and conversations and sometimes removing yourself from people. There's also forgiveness involved with that. So what did that process look like for you? Mm-hmm. So that was the most difficult part, right? Was how do I, how do I handle this? Even my counselor, you know, I'm, I'm like, Hey, what do I do? And he's like, I can't tell you what to do. I had to walk through this journey of, uh, and I remember him telling me, my, my counselor telling me, like, if you choose to walk through this with grace and forgiveness, he said, you will become a better communicator of the gospel. He said, because you've tasted grace firsthand. And I just remember that stuck with me. And as I went through the journey, uh, we even went through an exercise where he kind of sat in a chair as this guy, like, tell me what you would tell him if you had him in a room. And I just found some of those practices and some of those things very helpful for perspective and mm-hmm. for understanding like this, uh, even though this happened to me, this isn't all about me. And so I had to like just walk through this slow navigation process because I tell you what was even harder, Wade, was telling my wife Hmm. because my wife knew about my childhood some, but she didn't know details. And about two months after this began, you know, I hadn't told you, I went two months before I told anybody. Hmm. And you talking about the most, I mean, I couldn't even look my wife in the eyes. I remember vividly, I was taking a shower and I knew if I don't say something, I'm not good. Like I'm not in a good place. And I just remember I couldn't even audibly talk. I was weeping so hard. And of course my wife is trying to figure out like what is wrong. And I just, but from that moment, you know, the biggest thing was I expected shame. I expected her to look at me differently. And what I found was confession in this moment and having this conversation led to a beautiful, like our marriage, I would say that 2015, 16, our marriage became better than it ever was because there was a moment of authenticity, confession, transparency that began to happen. And what I found, Wade, was that every time I had the conversation and not just said, hey, this happened to me, but like said, hey, here are the details that led to this stuff. It was like, I'm free. Hmm. And what I found was, do I want to confront this person because I want some sort of justice or do I want to be free? Because there are some people who get justice, but they're still end up bitter. I think about people who there's loved ones that they're in court, right? And they're at 
they're on the trial or at the trial of the person that took the life of a their child or their loved one. Have you ever seen those stories where people are just like, Hey, I forgive you. There, there's, there's those moments you're like, I don't, I can't comprehend how they could do that. Right. But here's what I can say is that I can comprehend how they mm-hmm. can do that because they understand no matter what happens to them in that courtroom, you still have to deal with what's going on in here mm-hmm. and they could rot in prison. They could die in prison, but so could you. There's in your own prison, and there's a great book by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. Such a powerful book. Oh, profound, right? And that book helped me tremendously to understand there were people who survived concentration camps, but were in prison the rest of their lives because their soul was damaged. And to hear Victor say there were people who died in the camps but died free because no matter what they did to their bodies, they never took their souls. Hmm. And I think there's just so much for us to understand when it comes to trauma and hurt, pain to say, you know, what is, what is my end goal? What is it I want? Do I want people to pay or do I want to be set free from this pain and this agony and this anxiety and this shame and guilt that that's the stuff that no courtroom, no sentence, no amount of justice can heal. Yeah. And really what you're describing is something that only the Holy Spirit can do in our hearts. 100%. And But you have to choose to put yourself in position to let him do that, mm-hmm. to open yourself up to that transformation. And really this kind of leads back to the kind of leader you are with your team. You mentioned earlier telling your team that you're not changed by disciplines, but you put yourself in position for God to change you through disciplines. Can you walk through how you pastor now and how you lead people to embrace spiritual formation, to embrace rhythms of health? Because you you talked earlier too about the attractional model of church. And I feel like when I visited your church, the things that you were teaching and the things that you were walking your church through, it felt different than what I typically experience in a lot of similar churches. Mm-hmm. So walk through how, like just the way you lead and the way you pastor and, and what you're encouraging your own congregation to do. Sure. I think the f- first and foremost, I tell people my greatest struggle right now as a pastor is fighting against the culture and attitudes and, and language um, of people currently that are speaking the language I spoke seven years ago. <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> I'm actually battling the old version of myself. Um, and so, but I tell people the greatest marker of spiritual growth in your life is that you can look back and disagree with your old self. And, and so for me, I understood like, this is going to be slow so, for instance, basically from about 2019 to 2021, I began to I, I kind of uh, tell it like this. There's air attack and ground attack. Right. And so God began the ground attack in my life. It's the like, hey, well, who are the few people in my life? Let's go on this journey together. So it, it wasn't like I could just show up at church and be like, hey, guys, we're changing everything. <laughs> like I'm so because I also have I also have to have wisdom and like, hey, because I think this is what the church has been guilty of for thousands of years is that if something kind of goes sideways, you throw everything. 
right? It's like just, mm-hmm. and I think that's why there's so many Christians today that don't, um, you know, honor or really appreciate the bread and the cup, right? Or some of the the practices that have been a staple of the New Testament church since the Book of Acts that we've kind of put in categories. Oh, well, that you must be Methodist, or you must be Catholic, or you must be this. And it's like, no, these are beautiful practices that we threw out all because of some, you know, misuses or abuses in the church. And so now the journey, we're about a year and a half in of like, okay, I've I did the groundwork for a few years. In fact, coming out of, you know, 2020, I like it was like a huge unveiling in 2021 of like this is what our model of church has done to our people and to our staff. It it was it rocked me to my core, Wade, because I realized I was super healthy, but then I looked back and like our team was just in shambles. And so it was like this journey of like, I wanted to focus on my team first. And so I didn't try to lead our church somewhere that our team wasn't healthy or ready to go themselves. And so I really started spending a lot of time. Like we spent a year, there's a book called The Leader's Journey. And uh, it's basically just talking about the soul of a leader, of a pastor or a leader in the church and ministry, that the number one issue that we have is the reason why we can't lead people to spiritual health is because our leaders aren't spiritually healthy. You know, you, you've got people who are emotionally immature, spiritually immature, trying to lead lost people and new Christians to wholeness in Christ. And so what you end up with is you've been a church for 10 years, but you know, I tell people you can be a Christian for 20 years, but still be a one-year-old Christian. And I think that's where we were at. And so we spent, gosh, a year, year and a half just trying to and letting our team know like hey i know i used to say this but i'm saying this now you know i i'm it's it's crazy way when you have to force your staff to take a sabbath i mean think about that most people are like man i'd love a day i loved a day you know give me days off give me more time off and you're having to force people to do it and it's not even because they necessarily don't want to it's just that they have they have been formed mm-hmm. right over time to just grind, grind, grind. And even when I'm not doing something, I have to keep my mind and body busy because that's just what I have formed in my soul. And so that was kind of how I, where I began was like, God did it in me for a few years, started taking our team. And now in the last year, you know, and here's, what's amazing Wade, is I told our church, I said, Hey, we may actually go backwards before we go forwards. I said, because you know, for the people who are really, really just wanting to consume and kind of go on whatever, like they're probably going to find somewhere else to go. And that was the, that's where I had to like really get to in my leadership of like, are you okay with this? I mean, we had just opened a brand new facility. I mean, you're thinking through like, make you lose tithe money. You could use, you know, you could lose right. a lot of stuff. And so I, I'll, I'll always go to worst case scenario, right? It's like, oh no, I foreclose on the building. You know, this, and you're thinking about all this stuff, which is, I'm honestly in my heart, Wade, I think there are so many pastors out there that have built things so big they can never go back. Hmm. And that terrified me to say, like, what if you got to a point in your leadership to where it's like, man, I really wish I could change things, but it would cost me way too much. And I didn't want to be that leader. 
And I, I came to, I literally came to a place with the Lord that it was like, I don't need this anymore. Um, desire, I got to love what I do. But if I woke up tomorrow and God said, hey, go do something else, it would not strip me of my identity because I had found my identity in this and what I did. Mm-hmm. And so the amazing thing was, is that our church, it was like there was a hunger and a thirst for this. And I, and then I convicted, right? It's like, dude, if I was this hungry for this, why would I assume nobody else is? Mm-hmm. And so our church has actually grown. And here's the amazing thing. We've had our largest year of baptisms. And the first three months of 2023, we baptized like 200 and something people. And nearly half of them were being done throughout the week in our small group community. Like they weren't like Sunday morning baptisms. It wasn't like a big, like, you know, um, you know, spontaneous thing. It was like, we told our church, Hey, for the next year, possibly even two, we're focusing on two things. And that is prayer and community church around a table. We said church around a stage is necessary. I mean, you need corporate worship. I said, but church around a table is vital. And, in just a year, actually less than a year, um, the community aspect, the small group aspect, the people doing life together aspect has skyrocketed in our church. Um, and it's truly been incredible to see. And so some of it has been like it's the ground ground attack was the you know, kind of on behind the scenes. And then the air attack is how I preach. So like they didn't even realize, but really the last three years that's all I've been preaching about is discipleship and spiritual disciplines, but they didn't really, you know, it wasn't like I was yeah. saying, Hey, here's what I'm trying to. And so it was kind of this moment of like, I want to lead them with that whole hunger deal. And if I, if they get more hungry for this, then they look back and go, Oh my goodness, I didn't realize you were leading us to green pastures. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, man, this is amazing. And so I, I told our leaders, like, you're probably talking about a five year shift that we've got to be dedicated to, to where I love what Comer said. Comer said one of two things are happening in the church right now and will happen. Cause really here's, what's been crazy too, Wade, is that the more pastors I start connecting with and learning about and reading, I feel like there is a major shift happening to where a lot of people are being awakened to this idea. And he said, one of two things is going to happen. One, like the church of Jesus in America is about to see like this beautiful revival, see this beautiful formation thing happen. He said, or it's going to be a fad and it'll die out in a year or two. And people will go want to go right back to where they were. And I thought, man, what an alarm, you know, what a kind of like an enlightening statement to remind me, like, you know, don't just settle for like, man, this was a really sweet season. You know, right. it's, it's like the thing with, it's like with my daughter, right? Like, what is the end goal? Is the end goal for us to have a really good year run or a two year run? Or is the end goal for 30 years from now, when I'm not the pastor of this church, we have a, a community of Christ followers that have really transformed the city through its, its love and its devotion to Christ, its devotion to community, its devotion to prayer. Um, and that is what I'm, walking toward is, you know, just that, that again, God plays the long game. 
And I think so should we. And so I just love that beautiful picture of ground attack, air attack, you know, do it behind the scenes, preach about it, do it behind the scenes, preach about it. And before you know it, like the whole church is kind of coming along and a part of this movement. Yeah, that's a really helpful visual and handle for people. And I want to go back to something you said really casually. You said, I don't, you realized I didn't need this anymore. You didn't Mm -hmm. need your church to look a certain way. You didn't even need to be a pastor, but you were obedient to fulfill the assignment God's placed before you. I think that need, even a lot of what I talk about, whether it's in my book or on this podcast, if we take our dreams and our desires and our wants, and we get so enmeshed in those and they become our identity to where we need them to succeed, we believe, in order to have any type of fulfillment in life. Mm. And I think all of us fall into that, but I think especially driven, ambitious leaders, which a lot of pastors are, but then a lot of like business people that listen to this, or there's a, there's a lot of ambitious people right now listening mm-hmm. who are struggling with that need to define themselves by their wins and by their successes. What would you say to those leaders if they recognize that that's, that's leading them to a very empty place, an exhausting way of life, a way of life that doesn't bring true rest to their soul? What would be the thing that you would speak into that person right now? Yeah, I would just say like everything. I'm reminded that in scripture, most of the time, like if you think about especially Old Testament stories, it wasn't like throughout history, God has used, I think when we think about ministry or calling or purpose or even dreaming stuff for the Lord, whatever, you know, I think so many people, um, they put it in the context of like, you know, God uses preachers and pastors and he, he does. But one of my favorite stories in scripture is the story of Joseph. And Joseph was just a person, you're talking about a business savvy person. He was a business leader who just, he, he knew how to steward things well, and he knew how to hear from the Lord. And whether he was in Potiphar's house in charge of an entire household of stuff, he was who he was. He was faithful. He was a hard worker. He put his nose to the grind. He kept his integrity and character in check, or whether it was in charge of all of Egypt, right? The same Joseph. And I think sometimes we are so in the mode to be in charge of Egypt that we forget to be in charge of our own character and integrity. And so, in other words, we want the dream to happen, but don't realize that if that dream is built off of shortcuts, cheating, greed, selfish desires, narcissism, um, a need to get back at your mom or dad or whatever it is, wherever that wound is in your heart to get that affirmation, you're going to be in charge of Egypt one day, but you'll be Pharaoh and not Joseph. And I think there are so many people that's the, that's the kind of, that's the kind of dad they become. It's the kind of husband they become because right. They, they make the six digits. They, they, they married the the high school cheerleader or whatever. They got the house, but like they're divorced or, you know, there's an abusive relationship or there's an affair, uh, a moral failure. And so all of those things are reminders that, you know, if I can trust God with whatever his view of success is, right. Uh, whether it's influence, whether it's, you know, putting you in places to speak to Kings and rulers, 
or if it's in places, you know, to, to bind the wounds of the leper, you know, like, um, you know, not many people would, you know, adore the, the life of, um, uh, somebody who is given their life for a cause like that, but it's just as beautiful and successful as the person who is the successful business leader or built the large church or built the large organization. And so that is, that is the gut check thing, you know, and that's the thing that I, I went through a whole year and a half, two years. I was like telling my executive pastor, I was like, I don't want to hear numbers except for when like they're important for us to make some sort of organizational decision. I said, because I really want the marker of what we're doing is seeing people take next steps in their faith and be a part of community. I said, the more people, when we see our community grow throughout the week, that's when I know we're being successful because people are taking the challenge to surround themselves with other people who are helping them in their walk with Christ. I think every leader listening should just really ask themselves deep. I mean, deep down in there, like, what is this all for? And who gets the glory for it? And what is my end goal? Um, so, yeah. Are you going to be Pharaoh or are you going to be Joseph? That's, mm. I, I never actually like thought about it that way. Because we're all being, like you said earlier, we're all being formed by something. And mm. that formation is leading you in a direction in your life. And we, as followers of Jesus, have to choose to, to stop being passive about our formation and letting culture just act upon us. And we have to start placing ourselves in position to be formed by the Holy Spirit. Yes. And so just, I mean, there's been so much good stuff you've shared. Just to, as we start to land the plane, what would you say to the person listening to this right now? And they're like, yes, I want, I need everything you're talking about. I need that. I, but I don't know where to start. It seems like everything you're talking about seems so far away from where I'm at right now. Like, can you just kind of pastor some people through that right now? Like what's the next step that they should take for healing, for rest for their soul, to hear the voice of God? What would you say to them? Gosh, that's tough. Cause I think every journey is so unique and individual. Um, you know, so it wasn't even like where I'm at today. It wasn't like a pragmatic, like do these three things. You know, I think you discover it as you go. Um, you know, I think I would encourage somebody is if you're not connected to a really healthy church, um, to where you have a pastor or a leader that you can confide in, talk to, that would be one of the first steps I would truly challenge you to do is, and be intentional about, be intentional about like, don't just find, you know, the, like find somewhere where, you know, man, um, these people are, uh, and it's, a lot of times it's, it's what's happening outside just Sundays. Like what is the community like outside of Sunday? And, you know, ask to, ask to talk to somebody, ask to talk to a pastor or a leader. And then from there say, Hey, like I'm willing to open myself up, be vulnerable to counseling now, here's what I would say about counseling. I know like some people like why counseling, it didn't work. Here's what I would tell anybody, just about anything works that I make myself available to. You know, I think some people think that the work, here's what I found about counseling. I think counselors are the most well-paid listeners. <laughs> <laughs> that, Because I mean, 
I look back at my own counseling and really it was just, here's the beauty of counseling is that we think the counselor's helping us, but confession is what helps us. Um, when you read the book, uh, The Body Keeps the Score, they talked about how they did a study on people with severe PTSD coming out of Vietnam, you know, these Af- war in Afghanistan. They said the the highest percentage of treatment where we saw progress, where people hold their story over and over and over again. And what I would encourage somebody listening is like, if you think you're going to tell your story one time and find healing, you're not. But when you find yourself sitting on a podcast, telling your story with ease and, and explaining things, that's when you know, Hey, you know, like I'm living in the light. Mm -hmm. You know, I just had this conversation with our kids this morning about the deal with light. The problem with light is that we see light as intrusive. When and in Ephesians five, when Paul says, "Live in the light as you are children of the light," you think about that phrase. Wade, children means that you ha- you carry the nature and DNA of your parents, and when you are born again in Christ, you now carry the DNA of God Himself. And there is nothing hidden about God's character. God lives in the light, and as children of the light, a lot of times what happens is when you are living in darkness, light is intrusive, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And we sometimes that when God is shining a light in our hearts, it's as if he's on a search warrant trying to find something you have hidden to accuse you of. I told my kids, I said, that's the devil's job. The devil's got a search warrant and he's trying to uncover stuff to accuse you with. I said, but that's not the father. The father has a light and he's inspecting things because he wants you. He wants to inspect the house because he wants it to be safe, secure and a place of love and warmth. So imagine going into a home you're purchasing and you're looking under every crack. You're looking to see if there's issues in the foundation. That's the kind of light God is shining. It is for our betterment. It is for our security. It is for our safety. It is for our freedom. The light is our friend. It's not intrusive. And the moment you see your confession as freedom and not intrusive or shame or guilt, to me, that is the ultimate first step. You need to find a safe place. And it's not just anybody, but a safe place to allow the light to shine. And the di- not just saying this happened to me, but saying, here's what happened. Like I found that is a huge difference because a lot of people have said, yeah, you know, I was an alcoholic, but not many people go, you know what? My mother abandoned me and I began to drink to to cover up the anger and the pain or my father abandoned me. So I began to sleep around as a teenager to find some sort of fulfillment or because I was afraid that they would leave. And so I did anything and everything that they asked me to do. Those are the things that that's the real stuff. That's the raw Mm -hmm. stuff that helps you understand pain is not coming from the alcohol. My pain is coming from whatever wound led to the alcohol abuse. And so I would say that's number one is find a place to let the light in, confess, talk to, tell your story multiple times. And the first, the first season of that is going to be really difficult. A lot of tears, a lot of anger, a lot of hurt, a lot of isolating. I tell people I've become more of an introvert the more I grow closer to the Lord. Um, just because I realized that before I was wanting so much attention from people that uh, I loved having all the attention of people that I didn't give the attention to God. 
And so now it's like, I find myself just in love with like, man, I just want to bear my soul with a few people and with the Lord, because I feel so much freedom in that, you know, I don't need a huge crowd of people to make me feel validated. So I think that's one, I think two is getting in consistent community, like find, find a place to confess, find a place to tell your story, but then find consistent community that is moving toward the same direction. It's saying like, Hey, we want to have an authentic community here to talk about things that cause sometimes we say, we say weird Christian stuff like accountability, but accountability really is just the extent on which you're willing. I tell people like some people view accountability as a, as a parole officer, right? <laughs> like, Hey, I, I stepped out, you know, I'm, I went to Kentucky by accident from Tennessee, you know, whatever, but accountability is somebody who can text you on the regular and say like, Hey, did you, did you look at that today? Did you say that? Did you do that today? If so, we need to get together. You know, like that, that kind of community is, it's hard because you have to develop it. It's something you're going to find tomorrow. And so, and that's what I would say about the third thing. The third thing is just consistency, 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 long, long term, not short term. And if you'll take that first step toward consistency with your confession, with your community, and then, of course, consistent practices. And I think I would encourage people to read books. Um, Comer's Ruthless Elimination of Hurry is a great one. Um, Victor Frankel, The Search, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, fantastic book. Really, um, uh, oh, man, uh, my brain just went blank. It's the one by Dallas Willard. Sometimes, oh, Renovation of the Heart by Dallas oh, Willard. Yeah. Some of Willard stuff is super dense. And so I wouldn't encourage every reader just to start with any Willard book. But renovation of the heart is is one of his easier ones to to chew on, and they actually have a devotional that comes with the book that is fantastic. Like as you read the chapters, you're walking through it um, and doing that. Spiritual of the Disciplines by Richard Foster, um, man, just some fantastic books out there. So, anyways, I hope that helps. Yeah, no, that, <laughs> sorry, I feel like I'm rambling. No, you gave you gave some very clear steps. And we'll link all those books too in the show notes. Um, no, I, I just really, really am grateful just for your your heart, your character, your vulnerability, and just your friendship. And it just really inspires me to see how you're leading from just a very authentic desire to be faithful to Jesus with what he's put in front of you. And so there's been so much you've shared that I think is going to help a lot of people find freedom and bring their heart into the light. And so number one, just thank you. But I would love for you just to close our time, just praying for the people that know that the, they, they've heard this episode and they like the Holy spirit is just working on them. And they know that there's some things that need to be brought into the light. Can you pray for those people that they'll have the courage to do it? that God will lead them to the right people to do that with and that God will bring freedom in their life. Absolutely. Let's do it. Father, I am so incredibly grateful that you are a father who gives light, not to shine a light on shame or guilt, but God, because you want your children to be free. You want your children to live as you live. And that is in full, fully known, known fully and to be fully known God to uh, live in a place of such transparency and freedom that you feel the, the love of Christ 
and the love of people. God, I know uh, walking through this earth, here's what I know, because God, I run into so many stories in our own church is that there are people listening right now that have so much built up trauma and pain and hurt from their past, uh, their childhood, whether it's things that they've done or things done to them outside of their control. God, that was the hardest thing for me to wrestle with is how could I be placed in these vulnerable positions by a person who is supposed to love me and care for me. Um, And God, when we don't have the foundation of love and security and safety and our needs met, God, it causes all kinds of problems in our adulthood. So Lord, I pray that whoever's listening right now, Lord, would own up to say, I know that I've got some some hurt in my soul. I know that when some things happen, when people say certain things or I encounter relationships, they press on that sore spot in their soul and it causes a lashing out. It causes an addictive behavior. It causes toxic relationships. God, I pray that they would know I am speaking from experience. It is possible to be free. God, I want to reiterate that in somebody's spirit right now. It is possible to be free. It is possible to be free from pornography. It is possible to be free from fornication. It is possible to be free from addiction to substances. It is possible to be free from the anger and bitterness and unforgiveness that they are carrying right now towards uh, maybe family or, or a relationship in their life. God, and I pray that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit and love right now as they are listening to know. Oh, God, that you are a father who loves us. And God, you are on the search to unearth everything and every nook and cranny and crevice in our heart, not so that you can point at it and go, see, I told you, but to point at it and see, hey, let's take care of this. Let's mend this. Let's heal this. Let's go on a journey together to discover what Paul says is the vastness of riches that are found in the gospel. God, I pray that you would just use this podcast to lead people to ultimate wholeness and healing. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Brandon. I really appreciate you being on the show today. Dude, it's, dude you're, you're the man, dude. I love you so much. And that's just a huge honor to be on here. So thank you for asking me. All right. God bless. Hey, thanks for joining today. I want to encourage anyone who was listening and you found yourself in a similar situation where you've experienced Uh, trauma or abuse like Brandon was talking about, talk to someone. Talk to someone you trust in your family. Talk to a pastor you trust, a counselor, and when appropriate, to the authorities. Because healing doesn't happen alone. It happens in community. And so I want you to get the healing and the help that you need. If you were listening to this and you said, hey, that's me. I've been through a similar situation. So talk to someone, talk to the right person, the right people, and I pray that God will help you in your own healing journey. Now, if you think this episode will help someone else in your life that you know of, just please share it. You can be part of someone else's healing sometimes just by getting them the resources that they need. So I'll put all the info in the show notes for how you can follow Pastor Brandon, and I'll see you back here next week for more Dreamers and Disciples. Mm -hmm.